You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to RenewLifeChurch.com. Good morning. One more time, good morning. Everybody doing okay? Yeah, can you give it up for our worship team? Thank you so much for what you do. So awesome. So talented. Uh, my name is Cody Sykes. I'm the campus pastor here of Renew Life Church Midland. Super honored that you would join us. Uh, church family, could you welcome the first time guests with me? Thank you so much for coming. If you're visiting for the first time, welcome. Um, hope you feel at home. Uh, I'm excited just to, to share a few things uh, with you this morning that I feel like the Lord's been stirring in me. Uh, just coming out of some conversations that I've, with, I've had with certain people and uh, just some of the some of the things that I see in scripture uh, that we're going to talk about today, I just believe that there is um, an all-out attack on intimacy. And so today I want to talk to you about intimacy and what intimacy is, how intimacy plays a part in all of our relationships with man and with God. And uh, just kind of a heads up as I get into this, uh, this is not intended necessarily to be a marriage message, but it will feel a lot that way. I'm going to talk a lot about the marriage covenant in, in a husband and a wife and just what intimacy looks like there. But this also pertains to any, anyone in the room that is submitted to someone else. And so I think that would include all of us uh, on some level. I believe that if we're submitted and we're doing our best to trust someone, then we're walking in a level or a degree of intimacy. And so I want to talk about intimacy today. Uh, and just this attack that I see um, against intimacy and on intimacy. So uh, before we do that, would you just pray with me for a moment? Father, I just ask you, uh, just in the next few moments as we have together, uh, that, you would, that you would use me uh, just to impart something to people. Uh, that you would just, I, I, first of all, I just say thank you for choosing, to, for choosing me and for bringing us here in this place at this time. For such, a, for such a reason as this. And I just pray, Father, that our ears are open uh, to hear you, to hear the voice of the Lord in a new way, and that our eyes are open to see you and what you're saying in Scripture. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you. You're the spirit of truth. You are wisdom. You are the counselor and the comforter, and we need you. And so we ask you to come. We bid you to come. We, we just thank you that you're faithful. You're a faithful, loving God. And so I just pray for revelation and for strength in relationships after we're finished today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the message today is titled The Attack on Intimacy. If you're taking notes, uh, there's a title for you. Um, I want to define intimacy before we get too far into this. Intimacy is this. It's close familiarity or friendship. Or it's just used, it's used this word is used to, to wrap up intimacy, closeness. Intimacy is not this idea of that's close enough. <laughs> Oftentimes, I think that that's how we approach intimacy. When we're growing in a relationship with someone or when we're, 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 we're diving into some deep things with someone, oftentimes I feel like we have this, this thing about us that when things get too sensitive and our toes get stepped on a tiny bit too much, instantly we throw up this that's close enough. And we do that with our marriages. We do that with our relationships with leaders. And intimacy was not designed to be a thing where you threw out this idea of that is close enough. I like to break the word intimacy down like this. Intimacy. Intimacy. 
Into me, you get to see. If we're in relationship and I can trust you, and, and, and like with my wife, she gets to see into the parts of me that no one else gets to see. She gets to dive into the things that no one else gets to dive into. My pastor, he gets to talk and to challenge me in areas that other people don't get to. Why? Because we have an intimate relationship where into me, he gets to see. And that's how I like to break down this word intimacy. Intimacy is a word that speaks of seeing the innermost parts of a person and seeing a person let, seeing, letting a person see the innermost parts of who you are. The opening up to letting someone see your thoughts, your, your, your will, your emotions, the things that make up your soul, the areas in which we're really, really conflicted about letting people into, that's what intimacy is. It speaks of being exposed. This word intimacy, it speaks of being exposed or opening up or even uh, a word that you could connect to intimacy is vulnerability. Vulnerability, I believe, is this. It's different, in, uh, it's different from transparency in this. Transparency says, I will tell you anything you want to know. Vulnerability says, I'll tell you those things, but then I'll let you touch anything that I just told you. I will tell you the things about me, but then I will let you actually speak in and pour in and, and challenge and maybe even change some of the things that I was transparent about. Intimacy speaks of vulnerability. It's, it's basically like a nakedness, letting, stripping things back and letting someone see you, exposing hurts, exposing fears, exposing pains, uh, exposing dreams, sharing your dreams, even if they're giant dreams that aren't bad dreams. They're just dreams that you feel like are way bigger than you. It, even intimacy is letting someone see those things that even you're not sure if you'd actually even be able to accomplish. And there's something about the vulnerability of that that I believe is part of intimacy. As I paint this picture of intimacy, I realize what I'm doing is I'm also painting a picture of your worst nightmare. The idea of someone getting to see all of the things in you is very, very scary. The idea of letting your spouse get access to all of, the, all of the nooks and the crannies and the crevices of your heart and all of the things in which you, you've worked really, really hard to not let anyone into, that is like a nightmare for some of us. I've been there before. Uh, it, it, and sometimes it's just this practice of, of making ourselves available for people and we plow through this. Um, the thought of someone getting to see our inner parts uh, is really just a deep down terrifying thing. And I think a lot of times uh, in, in relationship, when we get into these places of letting someone see the deep things, all of these alarms start sounding within us. Danger, exit the building. Danger, exit the relationship. Danger, he's a control freak, run for the hills. Danger, exit the marriage. Danger, they're after you. Danger, they're gonna harm you. Danger, they're gonna... They're going to violate your trust. We have all of these things that start taking place when someone starts pressing in and wanting access to the things that we're not so sure that we should give them. But intimacy is this. It is very, very vital to relationship. It is vital to relationship, especially the marriage between a husband and a wife. I want to say this, and then I'm going to read a scripture. There should be nothing about you that is unavailable to your spouse. There should be nothing about you that is unavailable to your spouse. And if someone other than your spouse is your outlet for release of the deep things in you, I suggest that you make a very, very strong course correction because you're headed to a dead end, plain and simple. If someone has your ear, 
And if you're giving someone else the things that are deep in you, but you're not giving those to your spouse, you are building false intimacy in your marriage. You're building false intimacy in your relationship. So I'm gonna leave that with you. We're gonna turn to Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter three. I'm gonna start in verse one in just a moment. Everybody good? Everybody feel like you need to buckle your seatbelt a little bit or what? Totally fine. We're in church. It's safe. It's safe. We're going to start in verse 1. This is a scripture that everybody knows in this story. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, As God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and it was a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat, not to eat? We all know this story. We could probably recite some of this story by heart. I want to bring your attention to a couple things that happened, three things that were introduced in this moment that immediately affected uh, intimacy, and I believe still in, they still challenge and affect intimacy today. And those three things are this, shame, fear, and control. Shame, fear, and control. In verse 10, we see this. Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. That was fear. Because I was naked, that was shame. And so I hid myself, and that was the portion of control. Shame, fear, and control. These three things uh, have influenced much of our lives, and they influence much of our lives all of the time. Shame, we learned several weeks ago in Braden's message. He taught a message, a beautiful message called Purpose, Conviction, and Shame. We learned that conviction is God saying you did something wrong. That's what conviction, conviction says you did something wrong. Shame says that you are something wrong. There's a very, very big difference in those two things. And so I would encourage you to go back and listen to that message, but I wanna dive into this idea of shame and, and this, this thing where shame calls you something because that's what it wants to do. It wants to label you. It wants to define you. It wants to make you believe that you are something wrong. Amen? And so oftentimes, like Adam, we're put in situations by other people where their decision causes hurt in our lives. We've all been in situations like that where we, we trusted someone and then their neglect or their unwise decision, it reflected negatively on us. This was uh, the moment where Adam found himself. It was Eve's disobedient decision to eat of this forbidden fruit that actually spilled over into and onto the life of Adam, which then caused him to have to reap the benefits of disobedience too. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says that Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who, de- who was deceived and became a sinner. It's, it's believed that Adam wasn't even with Eve in this very, very moment. That she ate of this, and then Adam comes, and she gave him what was left over. But it was this moment where uh, her poor decision, her neglect of what was right, caused something to project into Adam's life, and it caused tremendous pain and tremendous hurt. Eve's dysfunction spilled over into his. Prior to this moment, in Genesis chapter 25, it says that, that the man and his wife were naked, and they were not ashamed. Fast forward to, verse, uh, fast forward to chapter 3, it says that they ate of the fruit, then they knew that they were naked. So they went from being naked to then knowing that they were naked. And I would propose this. Sin always introduces shame. No matter what. This is, and it started from this place. The moment that sin came onto the earth in the Garden of Eden, the moment that that happened, it instantly brought with it shame. It instantly brought with it something that said, you are now a mistake and you should hide yourself. Instantly, something happened when sin was introduced. Because we live life as imperfect people, and because, unfortunately, if you haven't noticed, we live life amongst imperfect people, we also are put in situations like this where we, our lives are infected or our lives are affected by someone else's dysfunction. We've all been in these positions where maybe it was a mom or a dad, maybe it was someone that we were, we had no other choice but to live under their jurisdiction, so to speak. We had no other choice but to live in a place of relationship with them, and maybe they violated something within us. Or maybe it was just the fact that we liked someone and we were growing in a relationship with someone and we gave them a portion of our emotion or we gave them something physically they didn't steward that well and so they actually violated our innocence and it created shame. This happens time and time and time again. And in these moments, I, I see it happening like this. We, we trust them, we give them something, they, they, they show us that they can be trusted for a while, but in a moment, something happens where they violated us in such a way that it caused a hurt. And the moment that it caused a hurt, our natural instinct, everyone's natural instinct, is to instantly guard the hurt, because hurt hurts. <laughs> And hurt's no fun, right? No one signs up for this, hey, will you hurt me? Here's my emotions. Here's my uh, intentions. You can destroy them. You can actually take my hope and you can bankrupt it. No one does that. So when we get hurt, our immediate reaction is to build a wall or build a little fortress around it. And a lot of times we do that by making inner vows. Inner vows sound like I will never let someone have access to that place in me again. I will never trust again. I should have listened to my dad and believed that I was the only person that I should ever trust. Or they always treat me that way. If you're not careful, these these inner vows, they get so ingrained into you that you will eventually let shame start talking you into more of what it wants to tell you that you are. You'll start moving into a place of, thinking and believing that actually you have to do this all of the time because you're hurt so often because really the truth of the matter is you're actually unlovable. That's what shame actually really wants to tell you. And so what happens in these moments is we build these little fortresses, I like to talk, I like to call them, to guard us from hurt. 
And in these moments, shame talks us out of our position with Jesus in heavenly places, because that's where it says that we're seated. We're seated at the right hand. We're seated with Jesus in heavenly places. It talks us out of our position with Jesus in heavenly places and into these more of what you could call damned places where hopelessness is the only thing that you have relationship with. We've all been in these moments. So we build these inner fortresses around hurt and emotions because we can't afford to let someone hurt us in that way again. But what happens is these, these emotions that we're doing our best to protect, they actually just become bound emotions. And once they become bound emotions, these bound emotions not dealt with, they turn into insecurity and they turn into pride. And so what happens in these moments when we get hurt by someone or we have something that, 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 that attacks an emotion or we feel this raw thing, and everybody's felt this before, we build this little fortress around it. And that fortress, it offers us great protection from the outside. It offers protection from the next relationship. That it says, I'm going to protect you if the next person that comes to you tries to touch that again. I won't let them hurt that. What it doesn't tell you is, I will never let you learn anything else about the area that you're hurting. Not only will I not let them in, I will not let God in either. And all of a sudden, you grow into this place where Jesus actually isn't the Lord of your life. He's just Lord of the areas that you're comfortable letting him be Lord of. Because we, at all costs, have to protect these emotions that hurt. You follow me? I would say that most insecurity started from a hurtful place uh, where something was violated in your life or when shame was created. And shame, I believe, also is introduced when we ourselves just do things that are wrong, like Eve. We just do things that are just dumb. You ever done that before? You just do something that's like, that was so dumb. You don't have to tell on yourself, but just giggle a little bit so that I know I'm not the only one. Perfect. Thank you for telling on yourself. Uh, we all do these things sometimes that are just dumb. It's like you, you, you shouldn't have done that. We, we tell lies. We live lives that are hidden, not in the right way. We're living lives because we're hiding something. We repeat a behavior that we know is going to be very, very unproductive. We uh, could potentially cheat on a spouse not right, not wise. Like we do these things sometimes that we know are just plain dumb. And oftentimes when that happens, we actually project onto our own selves and into our own lives something that causes shame. The moment that we invite something in that is unholy, we have this opportunity for there to be shame because sin always brings with it shame. The issue is this, in these moments, as I've stated that shame wants to tell you something, what happens is that if you start listening to these areas where you're making wrong decisions in and shame is being attached to the wrong decisions, those, the, that shame will start telling you that you are a liar. It'll start telling you that you're unworthy. It'll start telling you that you're, un, you're, you're, you're not trustworthy. It'll start telling you that maybe you're a pervert or that maybe you are a cheater, or that maybe you are like your mom, or maybe you are like your dad. And for you, that is something that you're doing your best not to be. Shame wants to connect you to something. And most of the time, it's not your future, it's your past. 
Shame creates ungodly beliefs about you that God would never have. Shame convinces you, and then you start, you start entering in relationship with God. You start entering relationship with people from the place of, I am broken, or I am a problem, and you've developed an ungodly belief because of shame, and God is saying something way different, but your ears are clogged up with shame. I, I've always heard this said this way, never have a thought about you that you wouldn't have over your kids because that's the way that God thinks about you. I'll say it one more time, never have a thought about you that you wouldn't have about your own children because that's the way that God is thinking about you. There are certain things that I would never say over my children. There are things that I would never think over my children. Do I think them over me? 100%. And God is saying, I actually have something different to say to you about that. I actually have different words to use about you in that situation. Would you, just, would you just start sharing so that we could break up with shame and walk in to wholeness? Fear is the next part of this equation. Areas where we have shame normally are the places that we have a very high, unhealthy amount of fear. Fear of someone finding out that maybe our life doesn't look the way that it looks on social media. Fear of someone discovering that maybe we don't have the money that we portray that we have. So I actually don't let someone come into my house for dinner because I don't want them to see the dysfunction in my house. I'm, I'm, I'm talk, talking hypothetical, but I know that these things can be very, very real too. Fear of someone uh, finding out, fear of me getting caught. I do things behind closed doors, and so I'm afraid that someone's going to catch me, and so I shy away from relationship. That could be you. We find ourselves in these places of, of being afraid of not knowing how someone's going to respond to our dysfunction. When it comes to relationships, fear enters any time that a new or an old person touches one of those areas that you're trying to force. You're trying to build a force for around and protect. Relationship can be going great. It could be the greatest guy that you've ever met, or she could be the one. And you start having conversations, and you start having relationship, and everything's going fine, and then all of a sudden, you have to have that conversation, and you're not sure how she's going to respond to that conversation, or you're not sure how he's going to respond to what's taking place in your life before. And so all of a sudden, you throw the emergency brake on, you push the brakes, you do all of the things. You slam on the brakes, and you start backpelling. Why? Because you're afraid that they might touch it the way that someone else touched it. And the last person that touched it, they violated you. And the last person that touched it was the reason that you had to have a force field around it. I see our soul in this way. I see it like a pinball machine. Every single hurt emotion, every single bound emotion, every single offense, every single hurt, every single bit of shame, if we're not careful, we build those little fortresses around it like I was talking about with absolute statements. Enters a person, in this case, the pinball. They get launched into relationship with us and all of a sudden, it's very, very quickly realized that they don't have a lot of real estate to move around freely within our soul. And because every time that they come up against something, they're getting pushed and rejected into something else. And if our soul is bound, and if we live in the middle of shame, and if we're so afraid, when relationship comes into our life, we will push it away because we're deathly afraid of someone finding out or someone violating us again. 
all of a sudden that pinball doesn't have any room, it just finds its place in this hole that it doesn't come back out of. And then here comes another one, and the cycle repeats. And here comes another one, and the cycle repeats. I just believe that God is wanting us to be open, and God is wanting us to, to be very, very raw with a people that we can trust. When I dealt with a pornography addiction, uh, I, I, grew up, I grew up with it. I was, shown, I was shown, shown pornography when I was 12, and it ruled my life for a very, very long time. And so one of the things about it was that it started telling me that I was something wrong. And because it told me that I was something wrong, because it told me that I was dirty, then when I got into the church, and the church told me that I was dirtier than I already thought I was, I 100% wasn't going to tell anyone. I think we as a church have to change our response to this one sin. Would anybody agree with me? We've put such a stigma on this sin. Yes, it is bad, 100%. Don't disagree with you. It has been painted in such a way that it's not even supposed to be spoken from a platform because it's of its filth. Yet more of us deal with it than we would like to admit. That's where I was at. I was in this place of I was so afraid that uh, if I got close in relationship with someone, they would actually see the thing in me and they would start thinking the thing about me that I thought about myself and I couldn't allow that to happen. And so I just allowed fear to push me, push me away from relationship. Fear always runs with shame. Then you have this portion of what we talked about, and that is control. If you'll go back with me to Genesis chapter three and verse nine, it says this. Then the Lord God called Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. They controlled the situation. They controlled their shame. They controlled their fear by hiding behind some trees. Like, don't y'all know it's God? Like he's all up in everything over there. He knows all of the things. He made them all. He knows all the hiding spots. I'm going to hide myself. My question to you is, how do you hide? How do you control? We all have our own control mechanisms. We all have our moments in which we, we choose to do something that is out of character. And that's another thing that shame and fear will make you do. It'll make you do things that are very, very out of your norm. When your spouse takes a conversation to a place that's a bit uncomfortable for you because you're hiding something. Do you steer it in a different direction? Because you can't let that thing get touched. That's control. And I bet you that there is a sense of fear because of shame. When your husband says, I know you don't like this, but this is the decision we're making. I need you to trust me. <laughs> Does it bump up against something in you that you never worked through from a previous relationship where maybe you were dominated and maybe you were abused and so you respond with anger or you respond with silence, that is control. And it's because of fear. When a pastor or a leader speaks into your life about something that you should probably pay attention to or you should probably stop gossiping so much or you should probably not treat your kids the way that you treat them. Is there something that rises up in you that all of a sudden it's not your church any longer and you need to look for a new one? If so, I would ask yourself why and then I would identify the fact that you are controlling. 
The good news is you don't have to always be this way. Shame, fear, and control can look as simple as this. Let's say we're all going to go to lunch together at a really big place, like Fur's Cafeteria before they tore it down because they didn't hear the Lord. I love that place. Like, Jesus, can you bring back a real good buffet, please? Come on, anybody. My wife is, would despise everything I just said. She hates the idea of a buffet. But let's say we're all going to First Cafeteria together because that's where the Lord's at still. And so we're going to have some of that jello at the end because that's what my grandparents let, let, let me have. It was those cubes of jello. It was the best. I always mixed it with red and green. Oh, joy in my heart right now. We're all going to go to lunch together. And uh, the truth is, is that maybe, maybe your car is really dirty and it stays that way. And you deal with a little bit of shame over it. And so you know we're all going to go to lunch. And so because you know that your car is dirty and you're dealing with a little bit of shame about it, you're afraid that if someone gets in your car, they're going to start thinking something about you that you don't want them to think. You just deflect by saying, hey, I need some gas. Can we take your car? That is a very, very elementary version of shame, fear, and control. You're hiding something from someone because you don't think that they will respond to your dysfunction the way in which you want them to. Or it could be even worse than that. It can be like I would, I would do when uh, I, would, I would literally uh, want to be so close to certain people. Growing up and, and after getting saved, like I, I was drawn to prophetic people. But having a hidden sin, the last thing I wanted to do was have my hidden sin called out. Well, the only thing I knew about prophetic people was they were going to call your stuff out. Well, I needed my stuff to stay in. I don't need my stuff out there. That's why it's in here. It's locked up. And I swallowed the key. Nobody gets to touch it. And so I would let myself get in relationship, and I would let myself get close enough. But then all of a sudden, because of my shame and because of my fear and because I couldn't let them actually think what I was thinking about myself, I would just pull back in relationship. And so what ends up happening is we start lying and we start doing things that are not normal. They're out of character. We, stop, we, we start distancing ourselves from people that we actually want to grow in relationship with. I believe that this is why there's such a perverted idea of intimacy. It's because we're afraid of being found out or being seen. And because we are afraid of being found out and because we're afraid of being seen, men, I'm going to speak to you for a moment, because we don't let anyone see past the facade we wear, because no one gets to have access to the very, very deep hurts within us, they said that 90% of a man's hurt was caused by their father. But because we don't let our sons see that hurt, and because we don't treat and teach our sons what true vulnerability looks like and what it looks like to even be seen, they actually are hurting young women because we're not teaching them how to treat them. Because they're afraid too. This is happening in our city right now. It doesn't matter what kind of school it is. It doesn't matter what kind of income you have to have to get into that school. If we're not showing them how to be men, if we're not showing them it's okay to have weakness because Jesus 
His strength is made perfect in my weakness. If we're not willing to open ourselves up, who's going to? We're seeing a result in a young generation that doesn't have any idea of what intimacy is. I'm preaching to two people. I'm preaching to a lot more. You just don't say anything. And it's okay. We're good. There's a lady that works, that volunteers in our church, and she works with uh, rape crisis victims. She gets phone calls, and she goes and sits in hospitals with, uh, with people that have been raped, and she's just kind of support system. In the last month, her calls have tripled in Midland, Texas. And of those calls, only one of them weren't a minor. Tell me that there's not an attack on intimacy. Tell me that there's not a bunch of people running around that are deathly afraid to be seen so they control it by being manly and hurting someone else. I know I'm picking on men. I'm a man too. I have work to do. I'm raising three daughters in this community and I'm raising a son. And I hope that I raise my son in such a way that he treats your daughters the way I'm expecting your sons to treat my daughters. Because if we don't, who's going to? We're seeing the result of someone else parenting our kids. And it's social media and it's all the other things. We're not going to start a parenting class right now. Come on, Cody. I'll show you one more thing and then we can close. Genesis chapter 3, once again. In verse 7, it said this. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. I think it's really interesting that the attack on intimacy was first between Adam and Eve before it spilled over into the relationship with God. It says that they noticed that they were naked. All of a sudden, shame said, there is something wrong down there, and you ought to cover it up because there's something wrong with you. If shame can teach you and tell you that you are the something wrong in your relationship, then it, it knows, the enemy knows that once you spill over into your relationship with God, you'll hide there too. And you'll never allow Jesus to be the Lord of your whole life, and you'll never become the thing that Jesus actually gave his life for you to be. If shame can tell you that you are something wrong in your relationship with the person that you can't see, it knows that you will never trust God that you can't see with those things that are very, very delicate. He started in the marriage covenant first. Last comment, and then we'll, we'll pray. I believe this. You'll never know the influence that you'll have on the earth if you choose to keep intimacy alive by living from a vulnerable and seen place in your relationship. And you'll never know the influence that you'll have on the earth if you choose to stay hidden and afraid of people. Either way, you're influencing. Either way, you're influencing. If shame is ruling your life, I would ask you and urge you to run to the one who sends shame running, and that's Jesus. I share this with you because I don't want your marriage and I don't want your relationships to be statistics. I don't want your marriage to be one of those marriages that after 20 years, you get a divorce and the reason for it is because you 
grew apart. I would propose that if you have something to hide, you've never grown together. And if I could do anything, I would hope and pray I can impart something to you today that keeps your marriage alive and strong and well. Because it's the single most important relationship that you have on the earth, plain and simple. It's your relationship with God and your relationship with your spouse. It becomes before your kids, it becomes before your friends, it becomes before your mom, it comes before your dad, it becomes before your cousins. The person that you're married to is the single most important relationship that you have while your feet are on the earth. And your relationship with the Father. And if I could do anything at all, I would hope and I would pray that I could interject something into your dynamic of your relationship where you would start living from a place of openness once and for all. That you would start living from a place of intimacy because I'm not afraid anymore. I'm going to ask you if you're married, give each other some grace. There is far little to room in our lives for other people to mess up. There is not very much wiggle room for our spouses sometimes to make mistakes. And the reason is, is because we are afraid and we are dealing with our own shame and therefore we have to control someone else. So I'm gonna ask you, give some, give some grace. I believe that God's gonna do some miracles in relationships. I believe that God is gonna do some miracles in men. I believe that God is gonna reopen uh, some of the things in women where they just don't trust anymore. And I believe that he's going to implant something that is life and life abundantly, and it's going to spill over into your relationships. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.